right, if you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, as Ernest just mentioned. Ephesians chapter 6. We are, yeah, we're going to be at the end of uh, this letter. I will give you a heads up. While this is the last sermon from the book of Ephesians, we have one more in this series, as next week we will, uh, we will look at the, the church at Ephesus, the letter that was written uh, in Revelation. So we'll, we will look just briefly uh, next week in the book of Revelation from that specific uh, letter to them. You may not know this, but uh, last Sunday was the International Day to Pray for the Persecuted. And this Sunday is the International Day uh, for Orphan Sunday. But because of our Hearts of Compassion week last week, we moved our Orphan Sunday to last week. And so we moved our Pray for the Persecuted uh, to today. And so uh, incredibly fitting that we would come to a passage that is specifically about spiritual warfare when it is quite evident that there is spiritual warfare happening around the world amongst those people who are those brothers and sisters of ours that are even actively being persecuted, being thrown into prison for their faith, uh, being beaten and bruised, losing jobs, losing family, losing their home, some of them losing their life. For these truths, I was listening even this week to an interview with two pastors from Afghanistan and their bold stance to actually have their ID changed to saying that they were Muslim to saying that they were Christian and the, the weight that that carried. As I listened to these two pastors describe the conversation with their wife and children, as they said, when we go to this office to have our IDs changed, we could lose our lives. But it is worth it. They described why it was worth it, because it was worth to stand up for their faith in Christ. Now, our IDs here don't even say what we are. And we, even if they did, there's no indication that we would possibly or even likely lose our life for that. But church, the, the church at Ephesus would have been receiving this letter probably would have had ears like our Afghani brothers that shared of their, their turmoil. And so with the best of our ability, I want us to, to hear that this spiritual warfare that we talk about is still very real. It was real then, 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote it. It was real a few weeks ago when our Afghani brothers had their IDs changed. And it is real for us here today in Ridgeland, Mississippi. So I, I want us to have that in mind even as we think about this text and certainly as we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. And I want to extend the another time, Ernest mentioned this earlier, I want to urge you, if you have not accepted that challenge yet, this week, sit 
and read all of Ephesians in one sitting. If you have accepted it, do it again. Ephesians is worth, like it's a letter, so read it as a letter. And, and rejoice over the things that you've learned over the past few months, the things that I've been learning. So let's do this. Let's jump right into God's word, beginning in verse 10. So Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which can, you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all of you, all of who love our Lord Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. One author said of this text, Here is a general exhortation to constancy in our Christian course, and to courage in our Christian warfare. Is not life our warfare? It is so, for we struggle with common calamities of human life. Is not our religion much more our warfare? It is so, for we struggle with the opposition of the powers of darkness and with many enemies who, could, who would keep us from God and heaven. We have enemies to fight against, a captain to fight for, a banner to fight under, and certain rules of war by which we are to govern ourselves. Make no mistake, church. Whatever you believe about the armor of God and whatever you believe about spiritual warfare, we must all understand this. Ultimately, spiritual warfare is about the glory of God going to all nations, no matter what the cost. You see, in order for us to have a greater understanding of the temptations that will keep us from successfully completing the mission that we have been given, we must understand that life is war. We must, we must sense this and participate in the battle. You see, this is a battle, and not one of us is able to sit 
on the sidelines. Wonder, are you ready for war? Are you ready to actually dress in the armor and fight this battle? Because there's persecution that happens around you, temptations that rage inside you, flirtations with sin that take place in your daily life. All of them must be fought with a ferocity that is unmatched. So let's consider what this looks like. First, this text tells us that we rest in the Lord's strength. See, even even the, the idea that I was just trying to convince us is that there is a battle we must fight. We must be involved in the war. But then my first truth, the first thing to remind you is that we rest in the Lord's strength. I mean, look at this text. How many times does it have to say it to us? Be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, right? We, we, we clothe ourselves with gifts from him. An author said, we have not sufficient strength of our own. Our natural courage is as perfect cowardice. Our natural strength as perfect weakness. But all our sufficiency is of God. In his strength, we go forth and we go on. You see, we, for us to stand, right, we get this idea that, that we stand in strength. But understand, your strength is weakness. My strength is weakness. So we stand not in our strength, but we stand in the Lord. The strength of his might. We put on the armor of God. We take up the whole armor. It says again, whole armor of God. This strength is not your own. Paul expressed this in other letters, right? He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He doesn't say I can do all things on my own. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. I can be braver than you, stronger than you. If I just dream hard enough, it'll, my wish will come true. Throw a penny in a wishing well and it's going to happen. I can just be stronger, bigger, faster, stronger, work harder, train harder, study more. No, he says I can do all things through Christ. We rest in his strength. In John 14, the text that David mentioned just a little while ago, He says that we will be given a helper. Why do you think we're given a helper? You're only given a helper if you need help. So hear this loud and clear. You need help. I I need help. This is confession, right? I acknowledge that. I know that I need help. In fact, just a chapter later, Uh, Jesus is speaking again, and he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. We went from needing a helper to help us with some things to realizing that not only can we do all things through Christ who strengthens us, there's nothing that we can do without him. Right? We Certainly, we need his help. But in order for us to exist, in order for us to put one step in front of the other, in order for us to live each day, we must have the Lord. We are are given this strength. We're not able to simply train our way into having it. 
We can't study Harvard enough. This makes perfect sense, of course. Why would we attempt to fight the spirit with our physical strength or in our mental capabilities? We must fight a spiritual war as though it is a spiritual war. I think too often we just try to get smarter, right? Just read more books. And we read good books. We read good books about the book. We like those authors. We'll listen to more podcasts. All the while, ignoring the spiritual battle that is happening all around us. Now remember, as I said just a little while ago, that ultimately, spiritual warfare is about the glory of God going to all nations, no matter the cost. We, we see that playing out again in a, a passage of Scripture. If you've been here more than a couple times, I would assume you've heard us talk about it. The Great Commission, right? Jesus is speaking, to, says to them, all authority, them being the disciples, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So here's his last words. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. But here's how he finishes, right? Behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Acts 1.8. We like this idea. We should. We'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. But when is that going to happen? When the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You see, this spiritual warfare that we are to be fighting, the battle that we are supposed to be in, happens when we rest in His strength. We need Him to be with us to the end of the age. We need this helper to be given to us. We can't do this on our own. And if you are wondering whether or not that is counter-cultural, watch a Disney movie. I mean, don't watch a Disney movie. I don't care. Whatever. I'm just saying, like, right? Think about it. All of them tell you to just dream more. If you can dream it, you can do it. Just believe harder. No. The way we fight this battle... It's by leaning on the one who wins the battle. In fact, that's what we see in this. Is Paul, Paul is even giving us this instruction. He tells us we stand in God's armor. So we, we rest in the Lord's strength and we stand in God's armor. Verses 14 and following uh, kind of express this picture of an armor that that Paul may have even been looking at as he looked out of his jail cell. Might have even been looking at a, a centurion, a warrior, a guard who would have been wearing some of this same armor. Some people think that that's what he had in his mind as he writes this. Others think that he is remembering back to other passages of Scripture from the Old Testament that reference these very same pieces of armor. I think either way, he's describing a warrior who stands. Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth 
having put on the breastplate of righteousness, shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You see, even even in other times, Paul writes of this, not just as the armor of God, but as in Romans, he calls it the armor of light. Just take off, take off your darkness, remove, get rid of the old, put on this new. I love this idea in verse 14 when it says, stand therefore. Standing means to hold your ground. You say, no, standing means to not be sitting, <laughs> right? But when, when it's used in like military terms, you're, you're standing on a place that you've already taken, right? You don't, you stand down, right? Means that someone else is, you're, you're going backward or, or whatever. But, but if you stand, it's because you've already taken that ground. So when Paul says, stand therefore, Understand it's because the ground has already been taken. The victory has already been won. That's why 1 Corinthians 15, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 2, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. I don't think you're excited enough about this, church. The battle is won. We are victorious. Jesus wins. So when we stand and we put on our belt, we put on our breastplate, we put on our helmet, we pick up the sword, we are already winners. I like winning. I, maybe y'all just don't like winning. Sam likes winning, but y'all don't like winning enough. Like this is, this is what we're talking about. This is conquering death, hell, and the grave. And sometimes we walk around like we've already been defeated. And Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we would be defeated. Jesus died on the cross, yes, for our salvation. Yes, so saved from what? Saved from hell. Saved from a life of separation, an eternal life of separation from God. So we, we're winners. So, so yes, let's, let's consider these pieces of the armor because the Lord has not left his people defenseless. Remember, we're going to put on, this, is, this was earlier in Ephesians, we're going to put on a new self, right? The, the old is gone, the, the new has come. We're putting on a new self, created after the likeness of God, righteousness and holiness. So what are we going to put on? Belt of truth. You see, the belt of truth signifies this readiness to go into battle. You don't, we, we don't exactly grasp that the same. The belt had a significant purpose in actually holding things together. It represents then the, the truth that is revealed in the gospel. You see, Satan, we know this of him. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We, we have an enemy that wants nothing more but to harm. So when we 
put on, verse 11, the whole armor of God, that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We're standing against the one who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. The belt of truth is in opposition to the schemes of the devil. Does that make sense? Like it's, it's the opposite of that. Why, why is this truth the truth, so important? It's because in our culture today, and probably in their culture then, truth is argued. People argue about like, whether or not scientific laws are actually laws anymore. There are, there are people who would argue that we just feel like gravity works. They're not floating, by the way. No, absolute truth does matter. That there are things, there's stuff that we can rely on. That we can hang our hats on, so to speak. And so in those things, we cannot waver. We cannot falter far, far more significant than just whether or not gravity exists. A belt of truth tells us that there is a breastplate of righteousness. Verse 14, this covering of righteousness. First Thessalonians says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. It's also shown here in Isaiah 59. He put on righteousness as a breastplate. I wonder if Paul was thinking of this passage in Isaiah when he wrote those words. You see, righteousness is what gives us the ability to boldly stand before someone, anyone, and point them to the answer. Because we have ethical integrity. Right? How difficult is it for us to listen to a hypocrite? Now, when I say hypocrite, please understand me, I'm not... I'm not uh, here to try to suggest that I am sinless. And so, therefore, you should listen to me because I am without sin. No, I'm saying that I am aware of my sin, confess it before God and need, and before people, and need forgiveness of that sin. A hypocrite is one who says one thing, acts another way, right? And so, so how hard is that for us? That's, I, I feel like... Uh, when I know of these things, I, I tend to turn the channel. I, I don't want to listen to hypocrites. I'm, I'm annoyed by them, for that matter, irritated. Uh, and if it happens at church, I'll just go somewhere else. Right? When, when hypocrites exist like that. And so consider then, even from your, your own perspective, if you are a believer but are living within, like, with a particular sin, and then you attempt to call someone out for that very sin or even something different, it's often very difficult and constraining to you as you go to, to say, hey, like you should stop sinning in this way. And they look at your life and you're sinning in the very same way. So this, this breastplate of righteousness is intended to guard us from that very sin. I've said this before, 
But let me remind you that your call to holiness does not supersede, I mean, is not superseded by your call to make disciples. Yes, I stand here today to tell you that, that the spiritual warfare we fight is about the glory of God in all nations, no matter the cost. But that doesn't mean that you get to live however you want in the meantime. You know, there are, there are a list of reasons that people don't go to the mission field. Some people don't go just because they don't want to, they're scared. But some people who even say, like, I want to go to the mission field, you know, two of the top reasons that people don't go to the mission field that feel like they would like to, number one is debt. And the other one is pornography. We don't have to go into all of those details there, but this is flirting with danger and this craving for fantasy causes so many to be unable to go to share the gospel of peace that their feet are fitted with. Before we even get to those beautiful feet, I need you to hear this. There are too many Christians who have their feet, quote-unquote, ready to run, but a heart that is too unclean. And we as a church, we have to say no to them. You're not ready. So what we're charging you, what Paul is saying is, be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. That does lead us to the shoes fitted with the gospel of peace. Again, he's... Paul is used to hearing about these beautiful feet. Isaiah 52, he even quotes in Romans, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation. You see, we have to be ready to share. The the feet, like we're ready to go, ready to move, ready to take and proclaim. That's why 1 Peter 3 says, We're always to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in us. That's how our feet are used, ready to go. There's a shield of faith, right? This, uh, you you may have seen different shields of different types. Uh, Most likely, this shield would have been a very large shield. It's almost like a, Imagine like door-shaped, I mean large, large enough that you could com- completely hide behind. Not, not so much like the circular kind that's, that's small in size, but one that you would really be able to completely hide behind your whole body. And, and oftentimes when they would go into certain types of warfare, they would dip these uh, shields in water. It would be like soaked uh, wood and leather combined. This massive shield would, in, would protect them and literally extinguish flaming arrows from the enemy. That's why they would dip them in water. When it says a shield of faith, and those, those warriors were holding up their shield, their trust was that the shield would stop the arrow. You see, our trust is not in a wooden, leather, metal shield. We have a shield of faith, faith cemented in 
Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon said this, The natural idea which lies upon the surface of the simile is that faith, like a shield, protects us against attack. As the shield enveloped the entire man, so we think faith envelops the entire man and protects him from all missiles, wherever they may be aimed against him. Faith protects the whole person. When temptation to love the world comes in, then faith holds up thoughts of the future and confidence of the reward that awaits the people of God and enables the Christian to esteem the reproach of Christ's greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. And so the heart is protected. Then when the enemy mistakes his cut at the sword arm of a Christian to disable him, if possible, from future service, faith protects the arm like a shield. He is able to do what he is able to do, exploits for his master and goes forth, still conquering and to conquer in the name of him who has loved us. I love this idea that faith protects the whole person. Our, our understanding of what God has in store for us in the days ahead, our confidence in our future in Christ strengthens us for today. And we have the helmet of salvation. Again, referred to in 1 Thessalonians and in Isaiah 59. Helmet of salvation on his head. This helmet would have covered both the, the, the brow cheeks, even, even gone far enough down to cover the neck. I wonder if when you hear helmet of salvation, if you would consider your salvation. Right? Do, you, do you know Jesus? Like CJ shared with us this morning. He, he knows. He's, he's got a confidence in him. He's got a helmet of salvation. Right? He's, he's protected now. I wonder, are you saved? Have you turned away from your sin, repented of your sin, and trusted in Jesus? Said, I, I need you. I want you. I need your protection. I need your guard. I need your help. I need you. I can't make it on my own. Sometimes we think, oh, well, kids get it easier than adults. You're right. That's why Jesus says, have faith like a child. Trust like a child does. Don't think that you can do it on your own just because you're an adult. You still can't. And we get this sword of the Spirit. Arguably, probably kind of physically thinking of like a short dagger-like, quick to use, that would penetrate and be sharp. The Word of God is this. The book of Hebrews tells us the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the, to the division of soul and spirit of joints and a marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Why is the, the Word this way? How does it help us in this way? Because I have stored up your Word the psalmist writes, in my heart, 
that I might not sin against you. You see, we don't read this book just so that we can be smarter. We don't read books about this book just so that we can have more knowledge. We want to have this stored in our heart that we do not sin against a holy, perfect, righteous God. We, we file these truths away so that when temptation comes, we can pull out the truth of God's word to battle. Can I confess to you that for too many years of my life, spiritual warfare was limited primarily to the work of prayer? What I mean by that is in just a moment, we'll read a few passages, a few verses that specifically speak to prayer. And whenever I felt uh, tempted, whenever I have felt uh, like well, there's, there's a decision to be made, hard things happening around me, difficulties going on. I have found myself going to my knees. And, and in some ways, like we would applaud that, encourage that. But I want you to realize that up until this point, we haven't even heard that yet. We've had a lot of other armor. And I, I would, so I want to confess to you that something I have been striving to do is to go to war using the offensive weapon that we've been given. To read God's word, to speak God's word, sometimes even to say it out loud. Like I want the enemy to hear it. I, I want to I stand firm in that way, boldly in that way. Because if it's just me praying, and yes, it is, that is important, <clears throat> but it is most important that I'm, I'm leaning on him and his strength, his might. So why wouldn't I lean on his word to give me that strength, to give me that might? Because remember, this isn't just about me making it through the temptation. Because ultimately, spiritual warfare is about the glory of God going to all nations no matter the cost. And so I cling to this truth because it is this truth that people need in all nations. It is this. They don't, they don't just need me praying. They need that, but they ultimately need the word of God. Finally, we attack with Christ's gospel. See, this really is about the glory of God in all nations, no matter the cost. So Paul even says, I want you to pray with me, praying at all times, with all prayer. To do what? To my, that, that the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, which I am an ambassador in chains. Ambassador, one who stands before others on behalf of who? In this case, on behalf of God. He's, he's standing before others. He's proclaiming the gospel. He tells us we should be pro to proclaim in the Spirit. Proclaim in the Spirit. Meaning that he doesn't do that on his own either. Thinking of what Jesus said, that you're going to be my witnesses when the Spirit comes on you. So, you want the power of the Spirit? 
This does make me think of our persecuted brothers and sisters. I I wonder if that's what they would want us to pray for them. You know, every time I, I meet someone, brother or sister from another part of the world, that's experiencing a persecution that's different than the persecution we experience. I'm not saying they never ask for this. I'm saying they've never asked me for this. They've never asked me for the persecution to stop. They've always said, pray that we can persevere in the persecution. And maybe even more so than that, they're asking to pray for those that they're proclaiming to. So not only do they proclaim in the Spirit, but we pray in the Spirit. Right? I, I think about, they're, they're asking, God, the ones that are persecuting me, that are kicking me out of my village, kicking me out of my home, removing me, God, save them. The ones that can kill me without any punishment to them, save them from their sin. They don't know what they're doing. Think of Stephen, book of Acts, when he was being stoned to death, being boulders hurled at his head. Forgive him. I think of Jesus as he's hanging on the cross. His father, forgive them. They don't, they don't even know what they're doing. Paul urges churches over and over in different letters to to pray. In Colossians, he gives a specific charge. He, He tells them to continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful in your prayer with thanksgiving. Pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. This same mystery that is described here in Ephesians 6. Some would argue that this praying and proclaiming even, that those are pieces of armor. They just aren't given a a specific piece. But but I I just wonder if we pray like that, if we proclaim like that, are you, are you willing to do whatever it takes to make Christ's name known? Are you willing to go to battle like this? Are you willing to pick up the pieces of the armor? Are you willing to lean heavier on Christ and his strength and the richness of his gospel? That there is a God who's perfect in all his ways, holy and blameless, who created, fashioned you, and yet we sinned against him. We disobeyed him, disregarded him. And so he sent his son Jesus to take on our punishment, to carry our, our guilt for us. And died for us. But in his perfection, he conquered the grave. God raised him from the dead. And he, was, he isn't just alive then, he's alive now, standing in victory and calling us to stand therefore with him to stand in victory with the King of kings and Lord of lords. 
This, this is the gospel that we proclaim. And so you, you can trust in this Jesus. Church, we lean on him. We fight this battle. But I'm pleading with you not to look at this battle and just watch it happen. I'm begging you that we would be a church that the way we fight this battle is to proclaim this gospel into the darkness. That we pierce the darkness with this light, the armor of light. I'm, I'm pleading with you that you would pray this way. Not just for the persecuted, but for all nations. Today, this week, we're praying for Tanzania. Pray that God would pierce the darkness in Tanzania. He, he finishes this way with, with a prayer for his family, his friends, his brothers and sisters. And he says in verse 24, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. We've been given an incorruptible love. So may grace be with you, those of you who love with an incorruptible love. We're going to sing a song. And as we do that, if you have questions about any of this, if you want to trust in Jesus and you don't know what to do next, you don't know exactly how to, how to say or do, you've just got questions about that, then here to my left there will be some who would love to speak with you. Maybe as you hear these words, you just, you just want to come here and you want to you fight the battle. Maybe it is you would come to these steps as we sing in Christ alone, as we sing, we need you. We, we can't do this without you. Maybe it is that you would use this time to say, God, we're praying for the persecuted. We're, we're praying for those who are, our brothers and sisters who are hurting. We want to be in the battle with them. Maybe you would use this time. Maybe, maybe more so than you've done before that you would, with your loudest voice, sing to God in praise that it is Christ alone that has been given to you and that he is sufficient for all of your needs. Whatever it looks like for you, as you take these next few moments, respond to the Lord as he is leading. Would you stand with me now as we pray?